Hey, if you, if you would today, if you would, imagine that you were back in Jerusalem on that day when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, okay? And what you would see is this, is that normally in the city of Jerusalem, there's about 50,000 residents in the, city, in the city of Jerusalem. But at the time of the Passover, which is this time, you know, when, when um, Jesus is going to be riding into town, there's up to 120,000 people there. And there's no place for these people to stay in the city you know, because it's almost triple in size, you know, from what it normally is. So they've got to stay in the hillsides around Jerusalem. They've got to kind of camp out. These days, you know, people might go camping for fun. And then they did it out of necessity because there was no place to stay. But these people came from all over the countryside, and a lot of them heard uh, about Jesus, and, and, and some of them actually saw Jesus teach uh, with authority. They saw Him perform His miracles, and the news about him began to spread through the crowd. And then it became electric when they heard the news that Jesus himself was actually coming to Jerusalem. And, you know, the thing is this, is that when Jesus shows up, something's going to happen. We know that. The crowd knew that. The question is, what did they expect would happen? And we can get clues about what they expected that might happen from what they did. The first thing they did was to wave these palm branches here. And, uh, you know, palms were something that were significant for the Jews because uh, they would stamp these images of palms even on their coins when they knew some independence from outside powers like Rome. It was a sign of the nation state. In John chapter 12, verse 13, it says, They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! And, you know, with the palms, they also used these palms to dedicate the temple. This thing was, you know, one of the wonders of the world. It was this magnificent building. And they used palms and waved them to dedicate that. So they had some significance to it, some political overtones as well as some religious overtones as well. And then they said, Hosanna, or Holy Odio Hosanna, or whatever it was that they sang here a little while ago, you know, um, I was impressed by what they did, by the way. Um, you know, these kids can sing in tongues. It's amazing. Um, but they, you know, they said Hosanna, and, and Hosanna was the language of the people. It was uh, spoken in Aramaic. It's what people would speak on the street. They'd meet somebody in the marketplace, they'd be speaking Aramaic. And so they, they said this, this word, and the word really was a quote from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 says this, O Lord, save us. O Lord, Hosanna, save us. O Lord, grant us success. And the people, when they would come up to, for the Passover, these, all these tens of thousands of people would come to Jerusalem for the Passover. They would, the tradition was that they would, as they saw the city and they would you know, walk closer and closer to it, they would recite Psalm 118. Hosanna, O Lord, save us. So when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, they were really reciting it to him. But there was more significance than that to it because when they would recite the psalm uh, at the Passover, each time they celebrated the Passover, they would be saying, maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year that God will send his Messiah, the Savior, to us. So now what they're saying with Hosanna is, this is the year. This is it. No wonder they were excited. Well, it goes on from there even. They said, blessed is the king of Israel. Now, they're, they're not quoting from Psalm 118. They're freelancing. They're saying, you are the liberator. You are the one who's the champion of the people, Jesus. You are the king of Israel. Then they took off their cloaks, these outer garments, you know, their coats. 
And they threw these down in front of this donkey on which Jesus was riding and put it on the back of the donkey. Luke 19, they brought, they brought the donkey to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And this is something that comes from the Old Testament where when a new king was proclaimed, the people around him, kind of like casting their vote, they would take off their coat and they would throw it down at the person's feet. So these people around him were casting their vote. They were taking off their coats and throwing them down in front of this donkey that would ride over it. Now, you know, if you've ever thrown your coat down in front of a donkey, um, I don't know, I could just picture these guys after that looking at each other saying, man, you know, I got, you know, um, I don't know, you know, donkey tracks all over my coat. And the other guy says, man, you're lucky you only got that on your coat. (laughs) Um, You know, and then they go on here and say, you know, the name of the Lord, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Mark 11, those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what that means is that if somebody came in the name of somebody, like somebody came in the name of the emperor or somebody came in the name of a king or something like that, they came with that person's power, with their authority. And so they're saying, again, quoting Psalm 118, but saying that this is one, Jesus is one who comes with God's power. God's authority. They're saying that, that this is the one who is the son of David in Matthew 21, 9, where he, he is the one who is this one who's the Messiah. He is it. This is who they thought he was. Why did they think this? Because the people wanted one thing. The people wanted what a lot of us want today. The people wanted peace. And they thought that if they could just get all of these externals right, if they could just get all of the external order right, if they could expel the Romans, if they could, you know, solve all their worldly problems, if they could get all of these kinds of things right, then they would have peace. But it doesn't work that way. Even though i got to admit, you know, a lot of times I will see, you know, that, you know, if, if we can just kind of get externals right, you, get, you know, get your, um, you know, get right order with your body, with your relationships, with your finances, with your life, there seem to be a whole lot more peace. But the problem is that, that it's fleeting, you know, if we're subject to our circumstances to know peace, well, circumstances change. You know, it's a fleeting kind of a peace. So in the midst of this great celebration where people are shouting and singing and dancing and and Jesus, you know, he he should be at his highest moment here. In the midst of all of that celebrating and that joy, Jesus, the one who is, you know, the object of all this joy, is weeping. He's weeping. He, he, He recognizes that what these people are looking for is a counterfeit piece, and they just don't get it. Luke 19, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. It will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. It will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You see, Jesus turned out not to 
you know, be the fulfillment of the kind of expectations that these people had. Yes, he was the Messiah, but not the kind of Messiah they expected. He didn't bring those kind of external order that they were hoping for. He didn't expel the Romans. He didn't, he didn't you know, create this independent Jewish state. But years later, 70 A.D., actually a few years before that, there was a revolt that was launched in, in Israel, and they successfully expelled the Romans out of the land. And there were some political things going on in, in Rome at the time. Otherwise, they probably would have come back sooner. But they, when they did come back, 70 A.D., they conquered that whole area of Palestine again, and they came to the walls of Jerusalem, and they, sw- they, they, they surrounded the, the walls of Jerusalem just like Jesus was describing. They besieged the city, so much so that the people were starving inside. They hemmed them in so that nobody could get in, nobody could get out, and finally they breached the walls of the city of Jerusalem and made their way into the city. And it was said that the Roman soldiers... Uh, there was such a slaughter in the, in the city of Jerusalem that day that the Roman soldiers had to climb over bodies in order to get at the rest of the inhabitants. Then they captured the rest of the inhabitants, sold them into slavery, and there were so many people sold into slavery that the slave market was flooded with slaves and it drove down the price of slaves in the Roman Empire. The temple, that great wonder of the world, was burned to the ground with not one stone left on top of another. The people thought that they were gaining this external peace, that everything around them was being put into order through this rebellion against Rome. And the very thing that they were seeking from Jesus happened now in 70 A.D., except it was fleeting, and in the end, they had anything but peace. So Jesus wept as he looked forward to that day, looked ahead to that day. Outward order without inward order can never establish peace. It can't do it. For the Romans, peace was always about outward order. And the the most important thing in the empire was to maintain the peace. So that the the city officials in a city like Ephesus or uh, the religious leaders in a city like Jerusalem were very concerned when things would become a little bit out of order because they feared that the Roman soldiers would come in And they would do what they did to Jerusalem later on in 70 A.D. So at the time of Jesus, it's no wonder that they spoke to Jesus and said, Jesus, have your disciples, have your followers be quiet. Tell them to be quiet because it's not orderly. But the people wanted peace. They wanted peace. But peace that is external only is not peace. Or fleeting at best. Think about it this way, that when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D., where did that come from? It came from the hearts and the minds of people who did not know internal peace. Because when a person has internal peace, it impacts uh, things on the outside of them. It, it, It can shape and change how they interact with things around them so that if there's external disorder, but a person has internal order, they're going to be able to interact with that far better in a healthy, more healthy way than they would otherwise. So Jesus, this agent of peace, comes riding in as a person of peace on a donkey, not on a war, war horse or a stallion or something like that. He came into Jerusalem as an agent of peace. And what did this agent of peace do as his very first act when he came into Jerusalem? He went to the temple 
got a bunch of cords, made them into a whip, overturned the tables of the money changers, and drove them out of the temple. Sounds like a violent act. Sounds like he's doing the same thing as the Israelites or the same thing as the Romans. But in reality, what he was doing is this, is that the people were looking for peace, external peace, external order for the community. So he went to the heart of the community, which is the the temple, and there in the heart, he began to purify it, to give it order, right order, so that they might have peace. But they still didn't get it. They still didn't understand it. Well, today, you know, when we look at today, you can... I can think of uh, that line from uh, Charles Dickens' uh, Tale of Two Cities where it begins by saying, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. We look around us today and, uh, man, we've got all kinds of blessings. We've got all kinds of benefits that, that our forefathers didn't know. I mean, you look around, you can, you can go to a grocery store and, and there in the grocery store down every aisle you can find foods from all over the world. You can find an abundance of food just ready for the taking better for the purchasing. <laughs> and uh, you can go online and you can buy all kinds of different things online. You can buy just about anything online. You can even buy those you know, groceries online. And uh, online you can go and you can research all kinds of things. You can go to something like a Google Scholar, for example, where they've got all kinds of different scholarly works and things like that. And you can do all kinds of research online. And you've got a, you know, these little gizmos in your hands that are supposed to be phones, but really are little mini computers you can walk around with. You know, medical science has advanced way beyond the age when they used to take leeches and put them on people's bodies to try to heal them that way. We've got all kinds of advances these days. And in the midst of all of these technological wonders and blessings and great things, and, you know, and we, we look at even you know, our standard of living, even during a recession, we're far better off than our grandparents probably ever, ever would have dreamed. But in the midst of all of that, there's one thing that people still don't have. And that's peace. You know, people are still as much in search of peace today as they were in Jesus' day. Absolutely as much. So what applied then applies now, and that is that Jesus said this, that the reason why you do not know peace is because of this. Because, he says in Luke 19, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And recognize is like this, okay? Um, Think about how we recognize something, okay? You see somebody and you recognize them. But what happens is, you know, the light bounces off of them, goes through your pupils and your registers in the back of your eyeballs, and, and or you, you hear somebody's voice and you recognize their voice, you know, it goes into your ears and kind of makes its way through the fog of your brain and, you know, kind of to, to that point where you say, oh, that's that person. Okay, recognize means letting him in. Letting him in. You did not recognize the time that God was here when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. And God is here right now. Finding peace means opening yourself up, allowing Him in to those places in your life that have been walled shut from Him so that He can take the innermost parts of your life and bring them order so that you might know peace. You know, Jesus is concerned about the external order of lives as well. After all, you know, these people were gathered in Jerusalem in part. Uh, they, they were excited about Jesus coming because they had heard uh, how Jesus had healed the blind man. And when the blind man came across Jesus, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, I want external order. I want my eyesight back. And Jesus gave it to him, and it was amazing. 
But if what you want, and if Jesus asks you this question, what do you want me to do for you? And if your answer is, Jesus, I want peace in my life. The answer is not going to be in external order. It's going to be in internal order. But he's the one who specializes in that. And you can find peace with him. You can find peace in your life. You're going to find that internal order when you're on your knees with him. Because peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It means that when he is present with you, you have peace. Something happens when Jesus shows up. When he shows up, there's an air of expectancy because we know that something is supposed to happen. When Jesus shows up, people like you and me know peace. Amen.